Welcome back to the Derek Diamond Experience Podcast. It's the season finale. It's finally here, the episode I've been hyping up for weeks, the -the behind-the-scenes look at my short film, The Parker Syndrome. So a little bit of a programming note. I had originally plugged this to be a two-part show. Well, due to some scheduling conflicts, we decided to condense the show down into one episode. But we've got the entire cast here, Brittany Least, Jesse Hartsog, Andrew Williams, Elise Mahout, Annalise Anderson, James Poole, as well as two of the crew members, Jason Robbins and Bill Lyons, who both ran sound for the Parker Syndrome. But in addition to that, we have a special guest host. Mr. Julio Diaz, a fellow Pensacon moderator, was kind enough to sit in and basically do what I do. Uh, So I could sit in on the panel and actually talk about the making of the film. And we go from really the beginning of how I came up with the idea for the film, the casting, location scouting, really the whole filmmaking process, as well as when will it finally be released. But you'll have to listen to the episode to find that out. I've got some more messages I'll do on the other side of this. But for now, uh, if you want to check out the video version of this podcast, you can go to my Facebook page, facebook.com slash Podcast, or if you want to listen to the traditional audio version, you can stay right here. So without further ado, here is the behind-the-scenes look of the Parker Syndrome. Hi, welcome to this episode of the Derek Diamond Experience. Now, don't be fooled by the amazing similarity, but I am not Derek Diamond. I am Julio Diaz. I am the guest host for this special episode of the Derek Diamond Podcast, which is focusing on the Parker Syndrome, which is a new short film that has been written, directed, and produced by Derek Diamond. Thank you so much, Julio, for hosting the show. It's nice to have someone professional, actually, hosting the show for once, so... No, I, I appreciate you very much. Uh, yeah, I couldn't think of anyone else I would rather have to do this. Well, I'm very pleased that you asked me. I'm excited to talk to everybody. I've gotten to see the film, which a lot of people haven't gotten to see yet. So feel privileged to have an early look at it. We've got uh, the pretty much the entire cast here as well as some of the crew. So uh, from uh, next to sitting next to Derek is Brittany Least. She stars as Emma in the, in the production. Mm-hmm. Uh, then we've got Jesse Hartzog, who plays Zach. Correct. Uh, Andrew Williams, the only non-Parker in the cast, uh, playing Ethan. Yep. Uh, and then Elise Mahout, playing Madison. Yes. And then coming from the, up the other way from the back, Annalise Anderson, playing Sabrina. Mama. <laughs> James Poole, playing David. Yes, I do. And then on the technical crew, uh, Jason Robbins. That's me. And Bill Lyons. Day two sound was the best. Uh, they both ran sound. <laughs> Half of day two. I understand there's a rivalry about in. the sound. We'll, we'll, we'll come back to that. But I want to start with Derek because the project starts with you. If you didn't decide to go forward and make a film, this doesn't exist. So what, uh, what got you interested in developing your own film? So the story of the Parker Syndrome actually goes back over 10 years ago. Um, I had just graduated college with a degree in video broadcasting. And I just wanted to make something. I wasn't sure exactly what, but I wanted to do some type of a film. And it was around that same time that I had met a couple of new friends who knew people that I didn't know, and they were interested in doing the same thing. So I was like, okay, well, I've got a group of friends. You guys have a group of friends. Let's make something. So I looked at the options and was like, well, we could do you know, a couple of different types of films. And somewhere along those lines came 
the basis for what was at that time the Parker syndrome. Fast forward to the summer of 2017, so roughly about nine years later, I'd watched it again for the first time in probably four or five years. And a lot of it does not hold up very well because I didn't really know what I was doing at the time. But I thought, okay, well, if I were to do this now, you know, I would probably do this differently, I would do that differently. And after the movie was over, I thought about it, I was like, wait a minute, why don't I just redo it? Or at least take the basis of it and make it better. Because I hadn't made anything in a long time, and it was soon, <clears throat> it was soon before that that I had worked on uh, Steve Wise's film Survey, doing audio. And that was where I really got the itch to, to do something again. So fast forward a year and a half later, and it happened. What inspired this particular story? I don't know that it was really any certain thing. In the original version, the focus was more on the Zack character, but I knew I wanted to shift the focus more to the Emma character. And it was through, you know, because I went through, I think, 10-plus rewrites of the story, and I wanted her to be kind of caught in the middle of this broken family drama and also the bad relationship and also trying to kind of figure things out, you know, because she's only a freshman in college, so she's still trying to figure herself out. So trying to do all these things all just kind of compiles into one really crazy day. But no, that, that was where the basis of the story came about was just, you know, taking elements from the original version and kind of updating them and also creating a lot of, you know, new dynamics because there's much more of a, a dynamic between the Emma and Zach characters, the brother and the sister, that I really wanted to be the focal point of the film. Was that taken from something in your life or just something that you came up with? Surprisingly, no. I grew up an only child, so I didn't have any siblings, but pretty much all my friends did. And I knew how close they were. And I grew up in a small town where I saw a lot of instances in that I used in the film, like the, you know, the parent expecting the kid to follow in their footsteps in the family business and, you know, the kids kind of rebelling against the parents because they want to do their own thing and not do what their parents want them to do. So there were, I can't really name off specifics, but there were some general environments that I grew up in that I included in the story. So it all starts with the script. You decide you want to do this project. You sit down to write it, and then what happens? So after the script was done, I sent it to Steve Wise, who was my assistant director, and I just flat out said, how can I make this better? Because he's got such a vast amount of experience with film. And he, was, you know, he was really kind of my mentor through this whole thing. And he had thrown out a couple of ideas and went through you know, like I said, 10 plus rewrites. And then once the script was how I liked it, then moved on to, to casting and location scouting. So that brings up all those other well, wonderful people that are here with us today. How did you discover this cast? Uh, mostly through online auditions. Um, just because of my crazy work schedule, I had to have most everyone. And I think Andrew's the only exception. He and I actually met at a Starbucks outside of Cordova Mall, and we... It was cute. It, it, was a good, it was a good moment. That might be the basis for my next movie. But, um, no... Uh, a Richard song playing and... No. In my mind. Yeah, okay. No, we... So we had, you know, a nice, you know, 
probably 10, 15 minute conversation. We went through some of the lines and he nailed it and got the part. So uh, let's go to the, the cast. When you first heard about this project, what, what was your first thought about it? We'll start with Brittany. Um, well, I just got a short description like um, of the basis, like synopsis, and I was really interested because, mostly because it, it wasn't telling details, so I kind of wanted to know, but it sounded interesting, and so I was really excited that I got the part. And yeah. When you're the, you're the central character of this piece, so was there a challenge in basically taking over the lead role? Um, I mean, it was interesting being on set, like just being on every scene. Um, so that was an int—I mean, interesting dynamic. Just like to not get a break and <laughs> to um, <laughs> be going from one thing to another. So yeah, it was fun. It was challenging, and <laughs> but yeah, it was a fun shoot. Jesse, what did you think about the material when you first saw it? It's interesting for sure. I mean, there's—it's interesting for sure. There's not a lot in this area, um, so I was actually happy to be able to do something, participate into something, um, and considering it was just kind of a drama. And most things tend to be kind of comedies around here. I was in a pilot series, but um, so I was interested to kind of work with my acting and learn some new experiences. Yeah. Now, now, Andrew, aside from it being love at first sight when you met at Starbucks, oh, <laughs> your character is one of the not nicer characters in the film. It just does not seem to to be your personality. Talk about the challenges of playing that. Uh, thank you. Uh, I don't know. I just tried to channel my like most toxic, terrible side of like this just terrible guy who um I don't really want to like reveal any spoilers right now for the film but uh I knew it was going to be a challenge sort of as an actor because just playing somebody who does this thing to this girl is uh is a challenge but I'm glad to see there's some comeuppance in the end so that's that's what I'll reveal about this character uh, I just came off of doing Wasted Hours in Pensacola as well with Jesse and uh, that's a stoner comedy that we shot um, it's a feature and, and it's just great to be a part of this film because there's this growing film community in the south and I say that we're doing it now in Pensacola and it's just getting bigger and bigger and we're all a part of it and that's pretty rad that's something I think is important for the community really to, to yeah. all the artistic endeavors that we can do in this community I, I'm personally a big supporter of and I, I'm always excited to see more of uh, Elise tell me about your encounter with this role Okay, so the way I was introduced to the film was actually through Brittany. She had texted my mom and asked if either me or my sister wanted to, like, audition for the part. So I did. And um, I just, like, whenever I heard, like, who Madison was supposed to be, like, her character, I just thought, I was like, I'm literally not going to have to act that much. Because, you know, like, there's just a lot of similarities. So it really wasn't, it wasn't hard at all just going in, being natural, you know. It's funny because your look is very different. If I could dress like Madison without being stigmatized by society, I would. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> I love her style. Um, but yeah, I don't think a lot of people would take to it. Well, be, before we go to, to the adult actors in, in the production, and not that you're not adults, but they, they, perform, they play the parents. Uh, I know. The, the, the key relationship in, in the film is between Emma and Zach, but I think there's also got to be some influence on Madison being kind of the, the, the baby of the group and seeing all of this happen. So how did that play into your process, thinking about that you also had a younger sister that was seeing all this happen and was this going to happen to her? Talk a little bit about that. Yeah, I don't think, like we didn't really get to interact very much in it, 
Um, but just like going off looks from like what our parents were saying and like there was an interaction there even though like it wasn't face to face. Um, I think we were both like taken up for her and so that was cool to have that but not like not have the actual interaction, so it was cool. Kind of, you know, seeing family difficulties, you know, I kinda ran off and just wanted to escape. She was left to deal with it all and well, so was she and just dealt with it in a different way for sure. <laughs> yes. <laughs> So, uh, Annalise and James, you play the parents, and from the perspective that we have in the film, you can be seen as, as kind of the, the, the villains, for lack of a better term. Uh, that's what parents usually are, aren't they? <laughs> <laughs> well, that, and that's, that's what I wanted to ask. Is, do you think that that is a matter of the perspective of the film, or did you try to bring that to the characters? Did you, do you think the characters see themselves as the villains, or do you think that they're trying to do what's best for them? what they think is best for their kids. Bingo, the second one. I think they are the villains, but usually parents, I mean, seriously, parents usually are considered the villains, you know, and we were, but we were trying to do the best, and yes, we came up short once in a while, especially with um, our son, but we did our best, you know, we tried, just like every parent, everybody screws up at some point, but, you know, we hope that it, sooner or later they all turn into really good kids, or adults, so... Yeah, um, you know, fortunately, my family was not like the Parkers, but I, I know people, you know, in life, you know, that had a father figure or even a mother, but a, a particularly a, a father who was very stern, uh, like, uh, like Mr. Parker is, and, and that's part of what I drew from uh, were, were some of my observations from seeing those, you know, those interactions um, but like I say, uh, fortunately, that was not my family. There was somebody in my family that fit every role. I have five brothers and five sisters, so there were 11 of us. So, so one member in the family was like one of the characters in this. Well, not quite the gothic-looking one, but <laughs> <laughs> close, but not quite. So, so going back to the younger cast members... Do you have that perspective in your life? Are there times when you felt like you had the pressure to follow in your parents' footsteps? Is that something that you brought to the to the film? I mean, yeah, every kid's expected to do something of their parents. They're expected to meet some kind of threshold, and there's always some kind of pressure to maybe not be better than them or anything, but to be a contributing member to society in general and also be happy, usually, to most parents. <laughs> so... So, Derek, hearing the perspectives of your cast, what do you think of what they had to say? I think they nailed exactly what I was hoping for. So, now is and, and I will give them major credit for this. When we did, we did a couple of rehearsals the week of, and even just you know, I think one was just Brittany and Jesse, Annalise came over for one, and then we did a full uh, Parker family rehearsal. Everyone was so well prepared, and it was like I didn't really have too much to critique i mean you were like well we can work on a couple of things but they were very well prepared and i was i was really happy about that so uh Brittany, you're juggling your character is juggling that but also juggling this relationship with andrew's character which is maybe not a healthy relationship talk about how you you viewed that was it was your character in your opinion only going out with him to, to rebel against what everybody else was telling you or were you looking for some do you think your character is looking for some consolation 
tell, tell me about how you developed that part. Um, I think she was trying to find acceptance and probably in her mind, like maybe rebelling against the parents because she wasn't getting it there. So maybe going in the opposite direction was like her way of coping. Maybe like a control thing. Like this is the only thing in my life I can control. So, but maybe not the best decision, but that was hers at that time. <laughs> so, Andrew, you, you had to play the other side of that equation. You, you talked a little bit, a bit about that, but yeah, you, you, your character does some pretty reprehensible things, or one pretty reprehensible thing in this. Let's talk a little bit about that without spoiling it too much. Um, it's a very hashtag me too kind of situation. It, it is, <laughs> and, and you know, I'm actually kind of infamous for playing these sort of politically incorrect characters. I guess people just get that vibe when they talk to me. Um, no. <laughs> I'll take it. Um, and, and, uh, it's cool. And uh, I mean, the thing about this character is, you know, I really loathe the high school wash-ups from my school. And so getting to sort of step into their mind for a little bit and kind of get back at them as well, which I know Derek's also trying to do in his script, is really awesome. And that's what I have to say about that. So um, in terms of the reprehensible thing, People make mistakes, uh, but this guy definitely didn't make a mistake. He was definitely trying to do that, and to see some karmic justice, like I said, is uh, it's pretty cool. I'm glad I got to be a part of that message for sure. So to bounce off of that, the ending from the final film was different than what I had originally written. So, and I can give it away because it didn't happen. So in the original version, he succeeds, and it ends on a very dark and depressing note. But at the same time, I wanted, thinking about it, I wanted Emma to be the cause of change, basically, like the cause of change in her own life. So then I changed the ending, and I remember I sent the updated script to the cast, and like 10 minutes later, I get an email from Brittany that just says, why did you change the ending? <laughs> so, but uh, when I explain... <laughs> I was like, just curious. Yeah, it's like, I hey, so I noticed, I noticed you changed the ending. Why? What's your motive? What's your motivation? Thank you, Derek. Because it changed the it <laughs> changed the entire yeah. dynamic of the ending. Well, that's, that's well took me out of it. That's why I didn't like. Well, she the was ending. upset because it took a, <laughs> no. it took a scene away from her. It was completely different. Sip for that one. Darker that you were looking to play, or what? No, I I liked it. I just um I was just curious about what he was going for because it was completely different. So I didn't like or not like either better, but I was just curious. It was just the pure yeah. lack of subtlety was great. It was like, why did you do it? <laughs> I, I think I was No, it was, it was funny. Why? No, I liked it. It was funny. Could you tell me your motivation, <laughs> Mr. Director? <laughs> okay. Shouldn't that be the other so. way around? <laughs> so, so, Annalise, you said you lost a scene in, in there as well, so can you tell us a little bit? Or, I mean, we don't want to spoil what actually no, uh, happened. Well, I was going to say, this is what, you know, it didn't happen. It was a very um, emotional moment of closeness between the mom and daughter and that's what I you know hated about it because I oh I get to actually have a really happy moment with you know a closeness you know like a real mom and daughter moment but the ending he did choose you know once he, he explained it I was like okay makes sense even though I'm not part of it but <laughs> makes sense <laughs> it was a good ending <laughs> Well, so of course the the script, the direction, the cast are key to any production, but the crew is also key to the production. So once you had your cast, talk about recruiting your crew. So I knew Steve was on board from the beginning. There were two people that I wanted. I wanted 
Steve to be my assistant director and also helping out the script. And I wanted Kevin Almodovar to be the director of photography. And honestly, one of my favorite moments from the entire production was when I put out the first casting call. He sent me a message on Facebook and he said, if you need a DP, I would love to help you out. So after you know, a few moments of geeking out about the whole thing. I, I messaged Steven and was like, we got Kevin, we got Kevin. So I was <laughs> super stoked about that. So um, everyone, you know, we, we had, it's a smaller film, so we had a smaller crew, but everyone, you know, stepped in and did a fantastic job. You know, we had a few people who had never done grip work before on day one that, you know, within just a few minutes. And I, I owe that a lot to Kevin's experience and, being able to explain, you know, what he wants done and how to do it and do it in a very clear and concise manner is honestly something that I envy about him. But what I learned from those two and really from watching everybody, because this, this was my first time directing anything, was an invaluable help. And I thought, you know, these two back here for never having done sound before did an amazing job. Well, and you mentioned uh, that you worked on Survey with Steve. Kevin was the, the DP mm -hmm. on Survey. And, of course, Jason was one of the stars of Survey. So, Jason, you went from working with these people in front of the camera to working with them behind the camera. Talk a little bit about that. Well, the biggest reason I wanted to do it, I mean, I was scared to do, <laughs> you know, sound because I was like, I'd never done it before. I've been on enough sets, but, I mean, I know what goes into it. I know kind of how to do it, but I'd never actually done it before. But just actually getting to work with Kevin again behind the camera because he, I enjoyed working with him on Survey and, you know, his professionalism and just his eye for, you know, the way he sees things. Like, I really wanted to work behind the camera with him, too. So that was, that was cool getting to, to work with him and him showing me how to do sound. You basically got a crash course in sound which then poor Bill had to get a crash course from me on the second day. But, um, but you know, Derek got, me and Derek have known each other for years, and, and Derek got to see me do, you know, my short film a few years ago and kind of ride the wave of that, you know, achieve my dream and kind of ride that wave of going to film festivals and winning some awards. So, and I just wanted to help him kind of do the same thing. So whatever he would have asked me to do, I would have done. And, and of course, as you, as you mentioned, you are a writer and director in your own right. You have a film called Monsters Anonymous, which yeah. is fantastic. Which you can see right now on Amazon Prime. <laughs> <laughs> so, so what's it, having been in that position where you've been the writer and director, is it a challenge to step back and A, learn a new role, but B, follow someone else's dream? I mean, don't get me wrong, it feels good to be the head honcho <laughs> behind the camera, which I was for Monsters Anonymous, which is weird because that that was the first set I'd ever been on in my life, but I was also actor, writer, producer, so, you know, a lot of people were coming to me, asking me questions about things, and I got basically a whole crash course in movie making, making that movie, so to kind of get to step back and... and just kind of really I mean when you're sound you're really just observing things that's you know you're just you're listening and you're observing so that was kind of cool to take a step back and just kind of watch everything get made around you and not have to be the guy in charge which I'm glad Derek got to experience that <laughs> so Bill tell me why it was better on day two <laughs> half of day two <laughs> 
That boom operation. It's all about that boom <laughs> operation. No, just to um, tag on to what Jason said a little bit about getting to sit back, um, I actually had to restrain myself a little bit. Um, I was basically worked on uh, two, I guess it'd be like, what, three scenes, Derek, total? Mm-hmm. Yep. Three scenes, there. Um, the main one that was actually shot here in Diamond's home. Um, we, there was a little issue with something, and I had to like hold the director in me because like this is Derek's film. I don't want to step on any toes. And as Jason said, it was really great to watch him work and solve the problem. So Derek, you basically had a crew of experienced filmmakers that you could tap for assistance. But tell me, tell me a little bit about that. Was there a, a point where you ever had to say, "Well, no, I'm the director here. I've got to." Or was it just a resource that you had there to, to draw on? Well, I made a point whenever I organized the crew that I wanted to have a lot of experienced people on set because I knew that they would help the project and also help me get better because I, I was extremely nervous when we first started. And, you know, I remember that it seemed like it took forever to get the first scene done because I was just so, like, I want to do it, but I don't know if I have the guts to say it. But once... Once we got going, I felt, you know, more confident. And again, having people like Steve, like Kevin and Jason and other people that had worked on sets before was almost like a, a calming presence in a way. And then that carried over to, to day two. And day two was honestly, I don't think you could have asked for it to go more smoothly. You mentioned location scouting in passing. Obviously, you didn't have too much trouble finding one location because it's in your home, but talk a little bit about that part of the the process so the we used my house for the party scene because i figure it's supposed to the climax of the film takes place at basically a college frat party and it was i was originally going to use the house we used for the family home but then i thought you know what if we're going to trash a house it might as well just be my own because then i can just clean it up later and i remember making the joke that once we made the place look trashy like we had gotten pizza boxes beer bottles water bottles trash clothes set design was really good for that scene <laughs> and i was like guys if if i had really thought about it i would have just left it the way it was and we wouldn't have had to do anything <laughs> but no the location scouting so we used bill's apartment which he was gracious enough to and i thank you for that bill to use for zach's apartment and then we used um, two close friends of mine who I've actually known since right before I got out of high school, uh, the Rainey family, who, as a trivia note, played the Parker family in the original Parker Syndrome that I made when I got out of college. And I remember being, even though I'd known them for a long time, I was still nervous to be like, hey, can I bring like 10 plus people over and just take over your house for a day? And as soon as I mentioned what it was for, they said yes, no questions asked. And that was, that kind of blew my mind, that they didn't even ask me how long I was going to be there, how many people were going to come over. That's just, to me, that showed a lot of trust that they had in me and the fact that they knew what this meant to, you know, what I want to do as a career. So we used their house. Um, They have a really nice house over in East Hill uh, that we filmed all the family scenes at. So um, luckily didn't have to use... um, too many locations and then we used uh the exterior um for the opening with the car which i'll give a shout out to zach who's sitting behind the camera running this podcast actually loaned us his 
his nice red Mustang for a couple of hours, and he just got to hang out on set. We got to catch up with him. So thank you, Zach, for doing that. So you, you had no trouble finding the location, but, and the, they were very gracious with you, but some of the neighbors you made a mess. Oh, so we get to tell this story. Okay, so <clears throat> we had, I, I don't know their names, so I can't fully throw them under the bus. Not that I would do that anyway, but we were wrapping up the outdoor, and, and the, the thing with shooting outdoors, especially because we shot this film in mid-December, so days are very short. You know, the sun set before, I think, 5 o'clock that day. So we were chasing daylight fast. We even had to move some of the scenes around to where we, we filmed the big, you know, scene with the entire family first, then went outside to shoot all the exteriors. So, you know, it's mid-December, it's Christmas time, and people do uh, fun Christmas get-togethers and everything. And one of the neighbors walked over and said, hey, um, how much longer are you guys going to be out here? And we're like, well, maybe maybe an hour more because we, we were pretty close to being finished at that point and she said well I've got a lot of company coming over for you know a Christmas party and you're standing in premium parking it's like okay and we'll we'll be we'll be done by the time you start your party but appreciate it and then I think maybe two people showed up because I remember looking outside the window I was like oh, some party <laughs> Parking, maybe you could have handled some of the fundraising for the film by just charging people right. to park. That would have Yeah. So that that brings up a point. Any creative endeavor, there's got it's gonna cost you money to do it. So how do you go about fundraising for a film like this? So this one I actually funded myself. Um, luckily it didn't I I spent this the way I uh, funded this movie was favors for the most part. Um, I think the most I spent was, you know, I, I made sure to feed the cast and crew because that's number one. A fed crew is a happy crew. And that's, that's something that you Steve. We had Zaxby's after you left. <laughs> oh, was, Zaxby's was great. But no, it, it was um, it's something that I learned a long time ago is that when you do things for people, especially in this film community, people will do things for you. Similar to, and you know, I think Steve told the story when he and I went on Bill's podcast that me helping him with Servi as a way of paying me back, he helped me with the Parker syndrome. And now that I've seen that, you know, people are willing to help out with some of my projects, I, I know that they're trustworthy and can help them out with theirs. So it's it's a lot of volunteer time, but I think a lot of people, and you know, I think you know Jesse and Andrew touched on it, is that you know the the film community is growing here, so it, it's it's cool to see things like that happening. I think the arts community in general in Pensacola tries to support other artistic endeavors. So even for sure, maybe not into film, there are people that are into theater or visual arts that that are willing to help out another. Another project I know I worked on Evil Dead the Musical at Vinyl earlier this year, and we certainly got a which lot was of great by the way. Yeah, we we got a lot of support from the community. We're trying to now turn around and pay that back. So, so I, I hope that that's something that everybody in the community finds important and is always willing to help each other out. It's, and I think a lot do. I, I think so too. Uh, this is for everybody. We'll just kind of go one at a time. What was the most important part of the film to you? I'll let these guys go first. 
I mean, I just really liked like um, discovering the character. And like you don't get a ton um, on screen as far as background, but so that's where you can create. Um, and so that was fun creating to like, how did she get there? And so that was really cool to just get into her headspace and everything. That's what I enjoyed. Um, I feel like my character, she like, she had a smaller role, so I didn't have like a bunch of lines or a bunch of screen time to kind of portray her. So it was very important to me that like the feelings that I did say, they were, you know, as good as I could possibly be. And that was the most important part to me. So. Plus you got to enjoy a look that you don't get to do every day. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I would say those uh, one-on-one moments with my sis over here. It was really nice to have that learning experience and being able to have um, her change my dynamic as a character, actually. It was just really rewarding, I think, get that one-on-one experience, <laughs> which I thank all of you for very much. Oh, my notes? Yes. Okay. Derek, how long is that one take? <laughs> how long is that one take? How long? Uh, I, hear, I hear a story here. Go ahead. Uh, you, uh, would you be referring to the, the one-er? Day two. One-er? And how many people day would two, be two, in that well, one two, scene? Oh, jeez. Uh, we, 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 can, we can talk about the... So the, the party scene, we, we had decided to shoot the whole thing in one long take, which was a pretty big undertaking because the scene also has extras so you have a lot of moving parts you've got you know Ethan and Emma are maneuvering through the crowd to get to where they need to go and then they interact with a few different couples while Ethan sets out to do what he tries to do and it was a lot of it really tested me as a director because I had to explain, you know, no, you need to do this and you need to do that. Like, so in, in some of the extras, I give them credit for wanting to be involved with the scene, and some of them were, and it made for really good dynamic and distractions throughout this. What is, I think, the longest, was probably the longest scene of the movie. The scene where the entire family might be just as long or maybe a little longer, but just having a lot of moving parts and that was where I felt I found my confidence as a director because I wasn't just directing Jesse and Brittany. I wasn't just directing Brittany and Andrew. I was having to direct almost 20 people. But yeah, it, we, we went through, we rehearsed that thing, I think six or seven times before I felt comfortable enough where I was like, hey, let's do this. So we did seven takes and I, don't, I can't speak for the guys who were here, but it was such a rewarding moment when we pulled that off because I wasn't sure it was going to happen in the beginning. And what's funny is, so Andrew had an audition he had to go to that day. Oh, yeah. So my, my thought was we, we were going to run through the one take three or four times, and if it didn't work, we were going to shoot it an alternate way. Well, when Andrew let me know that he had gotten this audition, I said, okay, well, we're, we're married to this concept. We have to pull it off. Oh, yeah. We've got to get it done in a certain amount of time. And we rehearsed it and shot it in about an hour and a half, which was mind-blowing. But it, it, it looks great, and it's one of my favorite parts <laughs> of the entire film. So, Andrew, did you make it to the audition? I did. Did you get the part? I don't know. 
Oh, so you're still waiting. Okay. Yeah. Uh, no, it was great. It, it actually tested my, my skills as an actor. I mean, I've been doing this a long time now, probably eight or nine years, probably close to 10 years, actually. Um, and, and that's one of the hardest scenes I've ever had to shoot. So really? there you go, Derek. I think we all felt that huge accomplishment thing, though, when, we were, when it was over. We're like, well, yeah. that. I think we all yeah, cheered man. and like yeah. I don't know if some beers got poured. Sorry, mom. <laughs> I don't know. That was still like ten o'clock in the morning. Yeah. But, yeah. yeah. No, we killed it. That was the crazy thing is it's the illusion at night, but we actually filmed it at ten o'clock in the morning. So we had to black out the windows and everything. And so smoke. And there was smoke, which added so much mm-hmm. to that scene. It was great. Well, I know when Derek told me about the scene the day before, I was just like, dude, you are a braver <laughs> to try that. Or is that why you didn't come today, too? <laughs> yeah, he was here for the party scene. He had to leave afterwards. I believe it. I was say, why would you not come to the day with pizza and beer? That just doesn't make sense. <laughs> I, I wanted to continue with the, the parts that you found the most important about the film because uh, the parents have not had a chance to answer. Annalise, what? What was the most important part of this film to you? Not us, actually. (laughs) Them. I mean, the kids, because that's what it was about. Um, We were kind of the fillers for it, you know, the the people that caused them to be the way they were. You're the cause of the story. Yeah. We we, we set the stage. Yes. Without us, there wouldn't have been them, (laughs) first of all. But... I guess you know the way the way we were parents probably played a part in how she reacted to, you know, her situation with what happened with her. So, you know, maybe we can take a little credit for the scene. What do you think? Well, I mean, from from an acting standpoint, I, I'm kind of like Lisa. Um, I didn't have a lot of on-camera time, so I had to pack a lot into you know a very short amount of time. Um, but story-wise, uh, and we touched on it earlier, I really think the ending was was uh, a really good thing and was uh, kind of an empowering um, that particular, the Emma character, uh, the way she handled that situation kind of creatively. And, uh, uh, and I, I, I think story-wise, it, it, it came together. And then... Uh, uh, the, the brother and sister um, kind of team up to then face some other things ultimately that they have to face, and so that was just that was a good thing. It was a good in, good ending. Good on you, Derek. Good on you. Sort of a teaser yeah. to make you want to see the show. What yeah. happens? What? <laughs> <laughs> this is for again for everybody. When we'll just kind of go through, uh, what excites you about working in an independent film? I think the freedom. And also with, and again, this being my first real experience with being as hands-on as I was with the Parker syndrome, you have to wear a lot of different hats. But in a way, I've been kind of conditioned to do that with my daily job. So it was, I don't want to say it made it easier, but in a way it felt more rewarding knowing that, hey, I wrote this, I directed it, I produced it. You know, I was able to find you know, a great crew and a great cast to make what, you know, I simply typed out on a final draft document a reality. That, I think, is is the beauty of working with, working in indie film is I think, I think this feels a little more raw, a little more organic, I think, than your your mainstream film. That's That's what I would say. 
It's getting to make movies with your friends. You know, like just it's the grown up version of, you know, cops and robbers. You're just making pretend and having fun and, and telling stories. I don't know what these guys are talking about. Give me a well-funded project any day. <laughs> I think there's more camaraderie when you have an independent film because everybody knows that everybody's trying to, as he said, play different parts and, and have different hats on. So it, it makes everybody a little bit closer, I think. And that's another thing, too. You know, when you're doing these little short projects, you're doing them in such a short amount of time, but you're together for so many mm-hmm. hours a day for that short amount of time. It's like you develop these friendships with people that last, you know, a long time. And exactly. you kind of become a family within a short, short period of time. I know that some of the cast has, has worked in some larger scale projects as well. So when, when you're ready to, if you want to contrast that to working on an independent project like this, that would be an interesting perspective too. I believe I saw something about a three-headed shark. <laughs> okay. <laughs> yes. Yes. So, Come on. James. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, the the uh, uh, three-headed shark attack was uh, was filmed here, and and I did have it. If you, I think it's at uh, minute uh, thirty-four. If you blink at minute thirty-four, you're going to miss me. But. Hey, I was um, in a shark movie too. So. Okay, <laughs> right, no, you know. So, but every, everybody had the same, the exact same line, ah, because everybody gets eaten, everybody dies. I mean, it's like The Walking Dead; everybody dies. But um, no, that, and that was a very interesting project that uh, that actually was shot over two weeks, and it's been four years ago. But uh, my scene was uh, was shot. Um, in uh, the uh, the ruins of the old Pensacola News Journal building before it was torn down, so that was really an inter- <laughs> an interesting uh, 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 sight to see, and and uh, and uh, there was even a, a, a professional stunt woman uh, who had a fifteen foot drop um, uh, during my scene. She had she gets blown over a rail and and the the mattress for her to land on was 15 feet below us. Um, there was one take. Of that. They only made her do that that one time. Um, I, but ironically, at the about the same time that uh, the Parker syndrome uh, was being done, uh, some of us had uh, uh, parts in another uh, well-funded uh, project over in Mobile Voices, which has not come out yet. Um, and I had a, a, a part in that. Um, that that was an impressive, uh, an impressive setup. And uh, they, I don't know what what their funding was, but uh, they had their stuff together. Um, nonetheless, it was still just as challenging uh, um, from an acting standpoint, where you're you're well funded, as it is where you know the funding is not so much. So that's that's the the attraction I think to. Uh, independent film um, these days is that you know it's still a challenge. It's still acting, whether you're you're getting a lot of money or or no money. Um, it's the experience. I just like to say real quick um, to kind of piggyback. It's so easy nowadays to make indie film, um, but it also means it's a lot harder to stand out. It's a lot harder to break in because everyone that works in indie film wants to be a filmmaker in, in some degree. And I think Mr. Derek Diamond of the Derek Diamond Experience over here 
Um, I think he made a, a really cool standout short film. So I think as long as we're willing to give him our support and vice versa, you know, I think you'll see some people from the Gulf Coast start making those breakthroughs. You guys are going to make me cry. <laughs> I think there's a difference between the independent and, like, we did Arden's Fury, which, you know, they had actors from California there. They had all the, um, they had people there who had to make sure that all the um, soldiers did exactly the right thing. Their, their um, guns were in the right place. They were standing at attention at the right time. It's, you know, precise little things. And it was very um, methodical, like, okay, Tomorrow we're going to shoot this. We weren't going to shoot that tomorrow. Now we're going to. Oh, yeah, now you're going to do a French accent tomorrow instead of the regular. I'm, what? And, you know, and learning all your stuff. But everybody had one role. In, in an independent film, I always feel like people have more than one role to do, and everybody works together more instead of everybody has their little part. And it's... I don't know. There's more camaraderie. You know, that to me in an independent film. And, and I'll echo that with what I just said. Uh, the, the set over in Mobile had 60 people, 60 people on set when I was there. Uh, and everyone had a job. And you didn't see anyone standing around doing nothing. Well, it was the same thing with the set uh, for Parker Syndrome. Everybody had a job, and there was, and I didn't count the number of people, but it wasn't 66. But everybody had, knew exactly what they were supposed to be doing. And, and it just drives home the point that the basics are the same, whether it's independent or, or, or a well-funded uh, project. The basics are still the same, and you have to do all of the same things, whether it's big or small. And definitely everyone who's involved in the indie film side of it is very passionate. Like, they want to be here. They're, we're not getting paid. We just we love it. And so we're just all trying to, like, work towards the same vision. That's really cool. Uh, uh, you, you know, the way it works is, like, you can be on big sets. Like, I've been on some big sets before and worked with some big names or whatever. But I guess when you have more funding, you have more breathing room um, in terms of what you're allowed to do, what you're allowed to stretch. But at the same time, it ultimately, like Mr. Poole just said, uh, it's up to you. You know, you really can be a professional filmmaker already. I know David Lynch will take, like, weeks to do one scene, but, you know, it, look at what turns out. And I'm sure he's well-funded, but, again, we did that one scene in, what, uh, an hour and a half, like you said. I mean, I just shot a student film that had Jesse in it, believe it or not, called The Upscale Dinner Party, which is a postmodern horror mystery and I brought in Peter Mahaffey from Wasted Hours, and Derek, hopefully you could interview me about that sometime because we got a YouTube star in that named uh, B.G. Cumby, who's caused like problems on Fox News and stuff like that. <laughs> like he trolled them. <laughs> so I was like, dude, you got to be in my student film. And uh, basically, we ran out of time because there was uh, we were filming in a house that takes place at night. Well, there's still sunlight coming through, and we're like in an old Victorian mansion. I'm not about to put people up there and put duvetine up on the walls. It's just not going to happen. So what? We killed it in like 12 hours. It was like a 12-hour day. Yeah. And, and now we have a, an 11-minute short film on our hands, just like y'all do. So, I mean, it really does come down to like what's your agency? Like well, what agency do you have inside of you? Like are you going to go out and chase your dreams? Are you going to go out and do the work that has to be done for your art and your craft? So... Talk to me about balancing that with the realities of earning a living. Oh, my gosh. I don't have to know about that yet because I'm 21 <laughs> and I finished college in December. 
But, um, you know, I, the way it goes, I mean, I don't want a real job. I really don't. I want to be an actor. I want to do this. I want to build communities and, like, relationships with people like y'all because, I mean, I've worked that, that job, that 9 to 5, <laughs> shipping beach supplies in the sun last summer. Thank God Parker Syndrome came through and wasted hours because I quit that job because I said my feet hurt and it's too hot. And uh, I'm sure y'all know more about that than I do. But, um, I mean, this is what I want to do. And I've, I've pretty much decided that in my life. I don't know what else I'm going to do. So there you go. Well, some of us have to do another job to feed ourselves until we get our big, huge break. <laughs> we got to eat. <laughs> That's kind of where I'm at right now. I have a completely separate um, profession that I've worked in for the last five years that has nothing to do with film. Um, and I do, I work with Derek a little bit um, on the broadcasting side of things. But at, at a certain point, I am going to have to, I'm, I'm getting close to that crossroad where I'm going to have to make a decision on, am I going to go with the dream and be the real starving artist thing until I make it big? Or am I going to play it safe and stick with this, you know, five figure a year job and maybe do it as a hobby if I have, end up having the time? So it's coming up close, and frankly, I don't know what I'm gonna what I'm gonna do because I've wanted to be a filmmaker since I'm ten years old. You know, it's it's tough. It's definitely tough because you know, during this time of year, especially with baseball seasons going on, I work upwards of you know twelve to thirteen hours a day on game days. So when those are over, because they're normally five game series, and when they're over, you just want to sleep and not do anything you become a vegetable for at least a day so it's tough to at times find that creative energy because you know I've got another project that I'm writing now that you know is slowly starting to become a reality where I can kind of fit it in but you know with Parker syndrome it was done during the off season so I have to be very picky with what I choose to do and what I choose not to do or what I'm not able to do. So say like when Servi was shot during the summer, I could only be there for one day because I had to work the previous day. But, you know, you, you still, I've always lived by the philosophy, if you want to do something, you'll make the time to do it. What's left to do to get this film ready for audiences? So... Actually, some exciting news. I don't think the entire cast and crew know this yet, but I got the first draft of the score today. So I've listened through most of it. I've got to finish listening through he it. sent it back and said, do it better. Hashtag director problem. Not that kind of director. But um, no, so I'm going to listen through that. Um, still gotta do, I've still got to do the sound edit once the final score is done and then send it off to Kevin to do color correction and we'll have a finished film. So I'm hoping within the next month the Parker Syndrome will be done. And I I don't know exactly when yet, but before it hits festivals, I will be doing a premiere for it here in town. It's a good thing, thanks to me and Jason, you won't have to do too much sound editing for that day too. (laughs) (laughs) Which one do you like better? <laughs> so, so we both did sound on the, the long scene, so that that was a dual effort. Right? Yeah, it was. That was a hard scene to pull off. Sound. I actually, you know, I thought I could have done a lot better. Thinking back, I should have been like behind Kevin, following him. There just wasn't a lot of room to work. Yeah, yeah. But um, 
No, it was a team effort on day two. Me, me and Jason knocked it out. So you're welcome, Diamond. <laughs> so, so the plan once you've done this premiere is to pad it out on the festival circuit mm -hmm. with it. Yep. So yeah, like I said, hopefully within early June the film will be. F that's the goal I'm setting for myself is for it to be done in early June. So. Everyone stay tuned to social media to find out exactly when and where the Parker Syndrome premiere will be. Is there more to be done with these characters in your mind? What's funny is, as we were wrapping day one, I had some of the cast members be like, so are we going to do a sequel, or is this going to maybe be like a, a, an Wasn't ongoing series? A read-through? Like actually, you're right. Television yeah, it was, it was, series? It was the read-through. What? <laughs> I've. Oh my God. We were talking about a prequel and a sequel. Yeah. You're, they just want to do the full Star Wars treatment. The Parker Syndrome universe. Yeah. yeah. We kind of like each the other. P the like PSU. <laughs> I have a couple of ideas for what could be a sequel. When that will happen, I'm not sure. I've got another project I'm working on that's more of a comedy. So. One of the reasons why the Parker Syndrome was a drama is that at the time I was writing it, I was going through, to put it bluntly, a personal hell. So I was in a pretty bad headspace when I wrote all of it, even you know up to the last revisions. I still wasn't in the greatest of mindsets. But now that all that's over, I want to do something that's you know funny. Like I want to do some type of a comedy. So that's going to be what I do next and. Who knows what'll happen from there? But I, I've I've got I've got a couple of ideas for what could be a sequel. We were gonna do a, a survey tie-in as a singer. Oh, so <laughs> and I wish Steve was here because I would have this would have been my way to troll him. So Steve, if you're watching, this should have happened. So you know how Marvel is famous for doing their post-credit scenes. Sure. So the credits are rolling, and as we're getting to you know the last few, couple of names you hear this knock at the door. And we cut back to the Parker home, and the door opens, and it's Jason as a pre-apocalyptic Vilker <laughs> asking for a cup of sugar. <laughs> and then Chris Kubiak pops up from behind him and says some funny one-liner. And, and, and then you have to have Anna beat him up. Well, of course, Chris yeah. Well, yeah, that's, that's, yeah, she just would have come out of nowhere and just like speared him or something. That, that was going to be our... Because I, I wanted to do it and then not tell Steve about it and not show anybody until like the premiere or do like a closed cast premiere and just have a camera on his reaction because that would have been hilarious. <laughs> well, it does sound like your cast would be enthusiastic to come back for another go-around. Is, is there anybody that... Anything, anything that you would want to see for your characters when, if, if and when there is a sequel for this? Can I get a pad and paper first? No, I'm kidding. <laughs> yeah, 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 true. I mean, you want to do a comedy, we could do Parker Syndrome. The comedy. <laughs> Maybe these characters, like, come around. They like each other. Oh, can you do the full-on 90s sitcom intro? And... Yes, the Parker Syndrome was filmed cool. in front of a live studio audience. I want all the wow. bridges burned. I want it all burned. <laughs> all over with. Just Madison's left over at the end. Okay, so we've got comedy. Now we've I'll got... die on screen. That sounds <laughs> awesome. Now we've got slasher horror. Okay. And Madison turns into this pink girl with pink bows in her hair and we gets out of the gothic look. We could just do the same story look. every genre. Oh, no. <laughs> yeah, th yeah, there we go. 
<laughs> well, you mentioned you are working on a comedy. What other projects do the rest of you have coming up? Well, I'm directing <laughs> my first um, theater show in the summer, so I'm doing casting for that right now. What's the show? Um, it's called Three Fables. It's a children's show. So I'm excited about that, but that's kind of been taking all my time right now. But, yep. Cool. Anybody else? I was just in a short film um, with Kevin. Uh, he directed it. And it was funny because he actually cast me because of my character in the Parker Syndrome. Because uh, I got there and he's like, okay, just do whatever like you did for your last role because, you know, that really work out right now. So... It's funny because he messaged me about that. I was like, I hope she doesn't get typecast. <laughs> <laughs> well, and it's she asked about costumes. He's like, like black? And I was like, she's being typecasted. <laughs> <laughs> well, what's funny, Jesse, I never told you this, but not too long after the Parker Syndrome, Steve went out to, I think, Pensacola Beach to a shoot that you were at. Okay. And you were um, you were playing like an overprotective brother or something. Yeah, so sure. I was like, sure. Jesse's yeah, getting. Yeah, I'm just typecasting everybody. <laughs> <laughs> That's fun. No, that was a fun. That was a fun day. Yeah, he just showed up on set for like ten minutes and took some pictures and left. I was like, oh, oh hey, hey, Steve. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I got a short film coming up that I produced in school, but it's not like a student film. It's like a real film. It's called The Only Defense, and we produced it through my company, Williams Films Limited. And uh, we're we're looking to put that out everywhere. I mean, we're thinking about Telluride and uh, TIFF and like Toronto International Film Festival. Just wh- whoever wants it. And I think I I just got appointed to the board of directors for a five hundred one c three the other night. So and a music video for a celebrity who I can't really say much about it, but they want me to direct it. And it's currently in the pitching stages right now, which I've never done that before. I've never done anything like setting up a pitch pack, but. And uh, lots of crew positions on stuff. I'm kind of taking it easy over the summer, but whatever comes my way. I mean, hey, you know? No. Yeah? I'm up for it. I'm yeah. trying to write a screenplay right now. I've got all the characters, the plot, the beginning, the middle, and the end. I just have to figure out how to write it. have not done that yet, so it's kind of hard for me to figure out. I'll figure it out sooner or later. I'm going to ask these people who said they've written stuff. I'm going to come to them <laughs> and get their help. <laughs> Oh, uh, that's, I guess that's me. I'm kind of doing the same thing. I'm I'm doing uh, trying my hand at some writing these days. Uh, as far as acting, I'm auditioning like crazy and turning out uh, self-tape videos and sending them out at every opportunity. Um, but uh, uh, hopefully, some of the things that I've managed to sit down and actually write uh, will come to fruition. I hope. I have high hopes for that. I hopes. I hopes. Don't we all? Don't we all? Wait for all my movies to come out. <laughs> yeah, Wasted Hours, where you at? Oh, Wasted Hours, by the way, is also premiering at the Miami Independent Film Festival coming up soon, so that's more Pensacola film. Oh, Stand Up will be in that, too. Who? Stand Up, the one I was in, anti-bullying one. Oh, for real? Okay, right on. Shout out to them. Myth coming through. Uh, well, my writing partner on uh, Monsters Anonymous, Wally Phelps, and I have been working on another script for the last year, year and a half. We've been working on it. started out as a 12-page short film, but now we're actually expanding it out to be shot as a pilot. And um, so we've been smoothing that out for the last year or so, and um, hopefully we'll actually be in the... We've been in the pre-production stages for a while, but uh, but hopefully we'll actually be moving forward on it pretty soon. 
So direct inspiration from working on the Parker syndrome, it got me very amped up, very juiced, and I started uh, writing my own short film called Dated, and I hope to have that out, you know, at least hopefully by the end of the year, maybe early next year, um, still very early pre-production, and I also have a feature in the back of my head, um, but beyond that, I'm trying to be as popular as Derek, and I host and produce three different podcast shows, um, so when I'm not working baseball that takes up a lot of my creative time well and i know our friend steve wise who you mentioned was of course the first assistant director has a uh, a feature he's in the process of mm-hmm. trying to get off the ground he's got a screenplay that he's written and uh i've actually read it it's very good mm-hmm. yeah uh, it is yeah. yeah uh so for those who are interested in what the cast and crew is doing that want to make sure that steve gets some credit for that coming up derek is there anything else you want to make sure people know about the parker syndrome um, yeah, just uh, follow the Parker Syndrome on uh, on Facebook. That's the best place to find um, the news for you know when the film is going to be released, premiere, uh, festival run. Um, but I did just want to say, you know, I know I said it fifty thousand times the weekend of the shoot, but you know what what we did that weekend means more to me than you guys will ever know because all the crap that I went through during 2018 what we did that weekend in the middle of december made it all worth it and i thank all of you for that thank you thank you well that's a great note to end on ladies and gentlemen i want to thank you for inviting me to be a part of this special edition of the Derek diamond experience make sure you check out the parker syndrome it will be ready to be viewed soon i'm julio diaz thanks for watching Thanks again to the entire cast and crew of the Parker Syndrome, plus Julio Diaz for being the guest host. And a very big thanks to Zach Dykes of Be A Light Productions for basically running the live stream from video to audio, all of it. He made it all happen, so thank you so much, Zach, for uh, doing that for me. So that's going to do it for this season of the Derek Diamond Experience podcast. Uh, To explain a little bit as to why I'm going to be going on break for a while... Uh, it's pretty much with baseball season now really in full swing. Uh, April was actually kind of light as far as um, comparing it to years past, but it's about to pick up. It's going to get really busy, and with that, you know, it's it's really difficult to do this podcast, getting the rest of the movie done. So I decided, you know, when I relaunched back in January that I was just going to take the summer off. But I should be back in mid to late September with a new batch of interviews with filmmakers from, you know, directors, producers. I'm also thinking about tweaking the format uh, even a little bit further. Um, But it's really going to depend on who I can get as a guest on this show. Um, It might be something that I do every now and then, but it won't be for every single episode. But the filmmaking format will be staying the same. I'll be back in, like I said, mid to late September. But if you want to check out past episodes from this season or, you know, pre-filmmaking format episodes of this podcast, you can go to all forms of podcasting platforms, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, anywhere you can get podcasts. Just search for The Derek Diamond Experience, You can follow me on social media. I'll still be fairly active, Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Podcast. And as always, thank you to my close friends, the Unicorn Wranglers, for providing the theme music for the podcast. Their songs Late Night Drive-Thru and Light and Jazzy can be found on their latest album, Greetings from the Space Van, which is available on Apple Music, 
Google Play, and Spotify. And that's going to do it for this week's show and this season of the Derek Diamond Experience. Thank you so much to everyone who took time out of their day to chat with me on this podcast. I had a blast under this new format. Hopefully you guys did as well. Enjoy the rest of your week. Enjoy your summer. And we'll see you guys back here in September on the Derek Diamond Experience podcast. This is Derek Diamond signing off. Thank you so much.